But I want you to go ahead and open your Bible to the book of Galatians. That's where we're going to be tonight, in the book of Galatians. I gave you a little bit of a foretaste on Sunday and uh, of, of some of the things we'll look at tonight. It's exciting to me. I want to be honest with you. I, I have had to, I had to back off. I, I, my natural bend is toward history. And I was getting so deep into this that I was like, dude, you got to back off. And uh, this, isn't, this can't be a total history lesson, uh, even though people like Nathan Larson would need it. Um, you have to, uh, she's right up here, Nathan. There she is. It's great. No. That's why when he met the Bradleys at camp after going to church with them for several years, he was shocked. What? Oh, my word. It was great, though. It's fun because I'm able to introduce him to people every week. Just over. Oh, my goodness. So anyhow, I had to back off. It's just, just amazing. This is an amazing book. And, and the thing that makes it even more amazing to me is when I... When you go in reverse and you just start tracing backwards where the Galatian people came from. So we're going to read a few verses and then we'll get right into this. Okay, verse 1, chapter 1 of Galatians. Paul, an apostle. Now, is that, does that suffice it? Isn't that enough? Okay, who is Paul? What do we call him? Thank you, both of you. The Apostle Paul, that's what we call him, the Apostle Paul. So it would seem a lot of times, like I think, I think in Ephesians and Colossians, he says, Paul, an apostle by the will of God. In other words, God, God made me this. Okay, So, so there's that understanding um, that he was an apostle born out of due time. But that's not what he's doing here. Okay? This is a very pointed parenthetical statement that Paul is fixing to make, and he's, he's going to make it for a purpose. There's a reason why he does this. Paul, an apostle, watch this, not of men. That's exactly how he's saying this, not of men. There's emphasis on this, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, whom raised him from the dead. That, that is a very pointed and powerful statement. We'll come back to that. And all the brethren which are with me unto the churches, notice the plurality of that, the churches of Galatia. So Galatia is a, Galatia is a region. Okay, started out as a village, what would be called a village, but, but in, in the, there's a lot of history there with, with different uh, um, groups of people that stayed there. But it started out very small and then it expanded and, and it became a region. And so Paul planted and established a number of different churches there, okay? Um, grace and peace to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, 
to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Watch this. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which ye have received, let him be accursed. Father, help us open our hearts and our minds. Give us the things we have need of as we study uh, this wonderful book of Galatians. And I pray that you would, uh, uh, Lord, in, uh, help us to be bettered by it. And we'll thank you for what you do. In Christ's name, I pray these things. Amen. So I don't think that we can fully appreciate, and I really hope this, I hope that when we, I hope, I hope that later when you read the book of Galatians again in your Bible reading, I hope when you go back to it that you'll have a different view, at least different. I hope you'll have a deeper appreciation of, of the book of Galatians than perhaps you have had before. So I think that... Um, I think that to have even a, a rudimentary grasp of, of where these people came from, and by the way, few people, few peoples in history, I, I think, have had uh, as much of a developmental journey that is as fascinating as the Galatians were. So their, their, their origins can be traced back to the ancient Celtic group. We call it Celtic because it's the Boston Celtics, but its pronunciation they're the Celts. They're the, it's, it's a Celtic people. Uh, and they lived in Europe from as early as the second millennium B.C. So these people were written about long ago, way back. I'm talking before Christ, second century B.C., before Jesus came. Uh, they're, they're, they're talked about and written about in history. Uh, the Greeks uh, had... had um, uh, crossed paths with them, had dealings with them since uh, the 6th century B.C. Both Plato and Aristotle wrote of them and mentioned them as being the wildest of people. So when you, when you go to the ancient writings of these people that ultimately wind up in Galatia, they're not gentle, tender, nice. These are really intellectually good people. The description that historians write of them is very... Uh, very prolific. They're they're just they're just wild wild people, and and they became known as some of ancient history's most prolific mercenaries. Kingdom would hire them against kingdom, and then if this kingdom paid more, then they would fight with this kingdom against that kingdom. So oftentimes, the very people that they were um, fighting for, they wound up fighting against. History tells us that 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 if a king needed to keep his throne, he hired them as his bodyguards. Large band of wild men bodyguards, okay? If he was disposed from his throne, he would call them and ask them to help him regain his throne. And so that's literally, that's literally where they made their living for the longest time. They were the strong arms. They were, they were the bodyguards that, that hired themselves out in battle after battle 
and they were celebrated for their size. They were larger than normal, their fierceness, uh, and, and, and being known for a wild, hot-headed people with, it's described as an animal passion. So if we could move forward, we're going to come back, but if we could move forward a little bit, what is that, I mean, it, when, when this type of people move into uh, a Hellenic culture, okay, that embraces uh, 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 Hellenistic philosophy and education, boy, it's a really awkward transition. It didn't go well to start out, okay? Let me, let me read for you. I thought this was fascinating what Aristotle writes of them. He said, hence a, hence a man is not brave if he endures formidable things through ignorance, nor if he does so owing to passion when knowing the greatness of the danger. So he's saying just barging ahead. When you, when, when you know you're doing the wrong thing and you barge ahead anyhow, that's not bravery. And then he makes this analogy. As the Celts take arms and march against the waves. That was sort of their, that was sort of their, their motto. All right, we'll, we'll charge the waves if you want us to. If you'll hire us, we'll fight the waves for you. And, uh, and then he says, and in general, the courage of barbarians has an element of passion. Another historian said this, the classical civilizations of ancient history painted the Celts as savage warrior people, uncivilized and simple in their animal passions. Greeks and Romans both considered them no more than barbarian tribal people. They were considered an uh, uh, existential threat as volatile as an earthquake or a tidal wave. And so when they burst into Asia Minor, okay, they're looking for, they're looking for greener grass. Okay, and so they've settled in what was known then as Gaul. So they were known as the people of Gaul. They would be referred to sometimes as Celts, sometimes as, as Gauls, okay? And so they moved from the area there of uh, France. Uh, there was parts of Belgium and Western Germany and uh, Northern Italy that were included in that. But when they moved, when they moved from Gaul, into Asia Minor and burst upon that scene, they were led by a chief that was called Brennus the Terrible. I mean, that's just, this just fits the, so here's Brennus the Terrible. Hey guys, guess who's coming to visit? They're moving right down the road. Who's your neighbor? Brennus the Terrible, okay? So when you hear a name like that, he's probably not the kind of guy you want to drop down at the local, you know, uh, Starbucks and share some coffee with. The terrible part probably probably gives you the idea. When they first came, they really weren't large in comparison to other migrations of people during that time. So when they moved, when they came across and moved into this area, there were about 20,000 of them, but boy did they grow and, and I mean, just through natural reproduction, they expanded Others came over, and, and they, they became a force to reckon with, and they impacted the geopolitical uh, situation everywhere they went. They were movers and shakers. They, they made kings, and they tore kings down. And so when you study the history of the world at this part, you cannot escape the influence of the Celtic people. Alexander the Great one time interviewed their leaders, and he said to them, 
Who do you fear? <laughs> and he recorded later that he had thought they were going to say, oh, you, you're the world conqueror, you're Alexander the Great. And without hesitation, they said to him, we fear no man, no man. And so that's the nature of who they were. Now, here's the amazing thing, okay? Here's the amazing thing. It's sort of like water on a rock. <laughs> it takes a long time, but ultimately water wears the rock away. When they moved in, these are, these are, they're, they're a restless people. They shifted all over the place in, when they were in Europe. Now they're in Asia Minor, and they find an area to settle down that is greatly influenced by Hellenism. Okay? Ultimately, over a time period of a couple of hundred years, that culture began to calm them to a degree, wear them down, so much so that historians later would refer to them as the Greek Gauls. Okay. Here's the wildest people on earth. Crazy hair, you know, wild beards, you know, handlebar mustaches. I mean, here's here, I mean, these are people that that they came and they saw and they took whatever they wanted. That was their nature. But culture began to break them down, and they began to embrace. Now, they kept some of their traditions and festivals and religious observances, but they began to become so cultured that they would be referred to as the Greek Gauls. And, and these are the people in this region that the Apostle Paul comes into and plants churches, plural. Okay. Now, I want to I wade into this. We'll make some some observations um, that are going to be sort of simplistic observations, but I, I, hope, that they'll, I hope that they'll help us. First, first observation I want to make from this setting in the book of Galatians is simply this. We should never underestimate the power of the gospel. Never underestimate the power of the gospel. Now, I know, and you know, this could be said time and time again. Look, look Thessalonica was a bad place. Um, Philippi, not good, okay? Um, Colossae, we'll get to Colossae. I mean, Ephesus, my word. I mean, so everywhere they go now, they're, they're, they're invading territory that is absolutely not Judaistic. Remember, where, remember in our study of the book of Acts, where did they start out at? Jerusalem, okay? So that, they're, look, they're, that's home ground. That's home ground. They're on home ground in Jerusalem, in, the, in that vicinity. But now they're leaving home ground, and now they're on territory that is the enemy's territory, okay? So, so there's, there's some problems here. I'll never forget when I went and preached in India and how that the first night that I got there, uh, the, mayor of, uh, the, the mayor of Hubli was there. Uh, the entire city council was there. Uh, boy, everybody was there. I came up, you know, here I am, the evangelist. They had my picture on a banner and uh, stretching across the place. They put a lay of flowers around my neck. I mean, they presented me with stuff. I was somebody and it was all good. The second day, a guy comes running in our hotel room with a little slip of paper where the Hindus are calling for our execution. 
okay? They're going to kill us. I've still got it. And, and it says, you know, we call on all self-respecting Hindus to execute these people because they've committed high treason against India and against our gods. And so he's pinballing and going crazy and he's nervous and that kind of thing. And, and uh, the next night that I went, the mayor wasn't there. City council wasn't there. Nobody showed up except policemen. And the policemen were lining, they were lining the platform. I went and made real good friends with them, by the way, and complimented them. Uh, anyhow, I love you guys. God bless you. But anyhow, so what am I saying? I, this is what I found out on that trip. Um, that wasn't my home ground. Somebody else's home ground. In particular, it was a pagan place to where Satan had such a foothold that he stirred up the entire region against us. The final night I preached there, they had a police car driving around the stadium the entire service with its lights going to let everybody know of their presence there because, um, because there was such an uproar in the city. That's, that's what Paul is walking into. But, but we should never underestimate the power of the gospel. We saw so many people saved. One night in that stadium, one night in that stadium, 400 people walked the aisle. Families left behind. Many of them lost jobs. Many of them were ex excommunicated, so to speak, from their families. They walked the aisle, trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, and had a card filled out on them. I'm just saying, look, the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is absolutely incredible. I don't think there could have been possibly a more unlikely place for churches to be planted right here. But you know what I love about Paul? I love this about the, the Apostle Paul. He didn't seem to let demographics get in his way. He, he didn't walk around with his finger in the air trying to figure out, okay, where's the easiest place for me to do this? Some of the places he planted churches were, were absolutely not only not the easiest, but would be considered the hardest. And so he didn't allow cultural considerations to determine his path or his choice. And the very cultural DNA of Celtic-like people, the very history of these people would have dissuaded most from attempting to gain a spiritual foothold here but not the, not the Apostle Paul. He, he, um, uh, even though these people had been written about, and I'm sure he read the readings. Paul was a, was a well-read man. I'm sure he knew that, that they were actually called in historical writings primeval. These are a primeval people, these people that settled Galatia. And yet, and, 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 and yet though they had retained so many of their old festivals and religious rituals, and were considered to be barbarian, Paul continued uh, forward uh, planting churches in this place. Now, the word barbarian is a very unpolished word, and it's simply used for people uh, and uncivilized people that the Greeks considered far below their uh, intellectual status and the civilized world. And, and so they, they, these people especially fit that mold. They're called barbarian. Now, let me give you a verse of Scripture. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. 
Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to every one that believeth, to who first? And then, and the Greek also. Okay, all right, so here we are. So there's two, two groups of people. The Jew first, remember, he came unto what? His own, and his own received him not. Is that right? Okay, how many of you are here tonight? Okay, you're just scaring me the way you stare at me. I, I, okay, all right, so here we go. So the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Now, here's the deal. And we'll get to this in Hebrews more than we will here. But the Jewish people didn't like that second group. You know why? Because even, even, though, um, uh, even though the Jews got saved, I'm talking about Jewish believers now, they viewed Christianity as exclusively Jewish. Okay? Jesus is our Messiah. He's not, he, he ain't a Gentile. He's our Messiah. And so there was sort of a, there was sort of a, I mean, the funny thing is they crucified him, but now these that believed, now they say, no, no, he's ours. He's, he ain't nobody else's. He's our, he's our Messiah. He's our Savior. He came to us first. He was a Jewish Christ. And so, and so there was a, there was a, a, a real struggle there was a real struggle, and we're there in Acts, right? We're going to, we were in chapter 10. Next study, we're going to be in chapter 11. So Peter's struggling with it. He's got a battle now. I mean, he's got Cornelius. Remember that exchange? Now we go into chapter 11, and, and some of the people in the church are going to say, What? What's going on? Are you telling me Gentiles are getting saved? And he's going to have to make a report to calm everybody down. So these Jewish believers are struggling with this idea that Gentiles can be saved and, and they actually held councils to discuss what do, we, what do we do with what God is doing. Well, ain't nothing you can do with what God's doing. If God's doing it, what you going to do about it? You can't do anything about it. It's of God and so you just have to go along with it. Now, the Greeks, okay, so we got the Jews struggling with the Greeks. Guess who the Greeks struggle with? The barbarians. They're like, are you kidding me? These people are stupid. Have you not read? They're primeval. Do you not, do you not realize who we're talking about here? We're talking about people that over and over and over and over have been descri described as having animal passions. These people don't build nothing. They tear everything down. I mean, they move into a, they, 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 listen, they explode into a region and everybody's got to get out their way or die one or the other. I mean, they, these, these people are, they're, they're, as Aristotle said, they're wild people. So the Greeks who were, remember, remember Paul's visit to Athens? Okay. They were, they were, they were, they were so wrapped up in knowing or learning. I mean, it was, their whole thing was intellect. Okay? So here's this culture based on intellectualism, and they're saying Dummy, dummies can't get saved. Okay? They, these people are, are too far below us, below us. Now, watch this. The New Testament was written in the Greek language. So the Greeks just figured, well, of course we can be saved. Bible's... God gave us the Bible in our language. Of course, the New Testament's in our language. Yeah, we can be saved. But they struggled with a group of people that weren't a part of their language and that didn't understand 
the upper echelon of society that they were a part of. And so as the Jew felt, listen, stay with me, as the Jew felt toward the Greek, the Greeks felt toward the people they classified as barbarians. Okay. In fact, um, you know, they, they were, uh, the Jews called the, the Gentiles dogs and, <laughs> and the Greeks called everybody below them barbarians. Okay, so those are not really nice. I mean, those were slams. I realize those of us that understand Scripture, we go for the dogs and we understand that, but that's not, this isn't college football, so let's get off of that. Don't, don't get sidetracked there. Okay, now, let's take the Apostle Paul. Guess what Paul, guess what, guess how Paul felt? He didn't care. He could care less. Jew, Greek, barbarian, I don't care. Don't matter to me what your education is. I don't care what your ethnicity is. I don't care the color of your skin. I don't care your, your racial divisions that you have in your society. I could care less about any of that. And he says so in Romans chapter 1, verse 14. He says, I am debtor. Okay, Paul, who do you owe a debt to? Both to the Greeks and the barbarians. So he's, 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 he's writing in here and he's saying, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not showing favoritism. I'm not just heading for the intellectual upper echelon of society. I'm, I'm reaching the Greeks and the barbarians, those that think themselves wise and the unwise. Paul said, I don't care what your education is. And he's writing to a world of people that are really hepped up on how many degrees they have behind their name. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 11. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 11. Paul says this. He's talking about in Christ. I love this. Here's what Paul said. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond, or free, but Christ is all and in all. Okay. So there's no difference. Boy, this, when I say this, this, is, this won't go well. You know, I'll probably get criticism from people that hear this online. But uh, I'm, not, I'm not really keyed up on Messianic congregations. Why? Because there's neither Jew nor Greek. So why don't we make a distinction? Well, what's your church? We, we're a white church. What's your church? We're African American. What's your church? Well, we're, we're Asian. What's your church? No, no, no. That's exactly what he said. In Christ Jesus, there is no distinction. Doesn't matter if you're a Jew. If you're saved, guess what you are? You're a Christian. Doesn't matter where you came from, what your ethnicity is. Doesn't matter what your education is. We're all the same. So in Christ, the distinctions that were in the world at this time and the distinctions that are in the world at our time should not even be recognized. They are simply, we're Christians. We're in Christ Jesus. And the gospel's for everybody, regardless of their social standing. And we should, listen, we just share the gospel everywhere, even in places where it doesn't look like there's a potential. I ain't going in there. There's a bunch of Celts in there, and they're crazy people. I'm not sharing a gospel with them. No, share it. Because you have no idea what God will do, and you should never underestimate the power of the gospel. 
even with bikers, even with gangers. Chip, even where Chip and Levon work behind bars. Well, those kids, they don't want, no, 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 share the gospel. Never underestimate the power of the gospel. Number two, ready for this? Never underestimate the poison of a half-truth, okay? Never underestimate the poison of a half-truth. Now, we, we all understand that the Bible is the Word of God, right? How many of you understand that? Raise your right hand. All opposed? Get out. Okay, so here we are. All right. Everybody understands that the Bible is the Word of God, and it was written by men as they were moved by the Holy Spirit of God, okay? So we know that the author of the book is, is, is God the Holy Spirit, okay? We all understand that. Now, however, there is, God does use characteristics, and we understand from a human standpoint that the man that God used to write this book was who? The Apostle Paul, okay? Now, from a human standpoint, you'll never find an angrier, <laughs> you'll never find um, an angrier letter written by the Apostle Paul. I mean, there, this is a, you talk about blunt. He stands, he stands the risk of losing people because he's just nailing them. I mean, they, he, he, he not walking in, he not having a chit chat with them. I mean, he's nailing these people and just, just, Talking about perverting the gospel. I mean, dude, what are you doing? Why'd you leave so early? What happened to you? I mean, he's just, he's just throwing it all down on them. And it's a no-holds-barred letter because Judaizers had led the people uh, astray and uh, with a hybrid religion. That's what he's battling in Galatians. A hybrid religion that was part Judaism, works, part grace, Christianity, and, and those two do not go together. And so Paul wastes no time in writing this letter to them. And he says in chapter 6, verse 11, You see how large a letter I have written unto you with my own hand. Well, this isn't a short letter. So what does Paul do? Paul pulls out the parchment, sits down. He doesn't say, hey, I need, uh, uh, could you go get so-and-so? I, I need him to dictate this. I'm going to, I'm going to give the letter, and I, I need him just to write this down for me. Remember, Paul had bad eyes. We'll talk about that. He had some bad eyes, and so it was a struggle for him to write. So what did Paul do? He said, bring me the parchment. He sits down, grabs a pen himself, and he handwrites this letter to the Galatians because he's upset at what's happened to them. And, and this, this group of Judaizers, those that sought to make people uh, live under the Mosaic law as a requirement for their Christian faith. Okay, you're saved, all right. But now let me just tell you, if you think you can escape what God told us to do in the Old Testament and you're no longer under the Mosaic law, I got, room, I got news for you, that ain't true. And so he... he um, uh, he confronts this. Now, let me say this. This is important. The Judaizers weren't subtracting grace. Okay. They were just adding works. Okay. So people that come in and make that kind of change, they're not going to they're not going to try to undo. They just want to they're not saying there's no grace involved in this. Of course we believe in the grace of God. However, you've got to keep the Sabbath. Okay? 
So, 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 so what, what, what a half-truth does for you is it poisons, it poisons the other half of the truth, you see. And so, yeah, okay, yeah, you're, we're all saved by grace, but once we're saved by grace, God expects us to keep the, keep the Sabbath. And, and, and it's just ridiculous. Now, we, we, read the, we read the portion of Scripture. He said, I marvel, verse number 6, that ye are so soon removed from him that called you unto the grace of God into another gospel. I remember when I wrote an article for the CUNA newspaper years ago, and the title of it was Another Gospel. <laughs> and I, got, I pulled into my neighborhood, and a guy came out and saw me, and he said, I need to talk with you. I said, okay. He said, I read your article in the CUNA newspaper. I said, well, great. Thank you. And he said, I don't think you understand what we believe at all. I said, I understand fully what you believe. You say you believe in the atonement, but what you really believe in is what you do with the atonement. What can I do with this atonement? And I said, it's not what you do with the atonement that saves you. It's what the atonement does for you that saves you. And, and, and their religion is a, is, it's a, it's a, it's a work, works-based religion. So Paul said this, it's another gospel. But it's really not another gospel. What is it then? Because in another gospel, but not really another gospel, what is it? He says there, he says it's, it's a perverted gospel. Now watch this. I don't want you to miss this because you need to see this. He said anybody that brings to you, okay, any other gospel unto you than that which we've preached out of the word of God to you, Paul said, let him be what? Just scold him. Embrace him. Love him in Jesus' name and send him away. No, Paul said, no, no, that's serious stuff. He's playing with the souls of men. Let him be accursed. And just in case somebody missed what he was saying, he said, I want to repeat myself to you in verse number 9. And he said, if anybody preach any other gospel unto you than that which you have already received, that which he has received, let him be accursed. That is very extremely Strong language. It's not playing around. Paul said, no, no, let him be accursed. You know what that means? That means dying and going to hell. It's not that Paul wanted that for somebody, but he's simply showing us the, the severity of leading someone astray with salvation. It's an accursed doctrine and should not be embraced. Okay, now... Let me say this to you, and I'm going to go to my next point. But any gospel, any gospel which includes work with grace is another gospel. It's as old as the Garden of Eden. Gospel based on grace, Abel's. Gospel based on the works of his own hands, Cain's. God rejected Cain's. God accepted Abel's. Now listen to me carefully. Ever since that day, ever since that day, Man has been inventing his own religions. And the one thing they all have in common from that time until this time is that they're works-based. Everyone. When you add, listen, never underestimate the poison of a half-truth. It's the, it's, the, it's the truth half that gets people to buy in. It's the poison half that kills them. And so here is an entire church that's been sucked into this. By the way, the book of Jude talks about men that have crept in unawares 
with their doctrine. And uh, these Judaizers had done the same thing here in the churches of Galatia and seduced them with a works-based salvation. Now, I want to say this to you. I want you to listen, listen to me, okay? Listen. God gave you a Bible. How many of you have got a Bible? Let me see your hand. Okay, everybody got a Bible? If you don't have a Bible, we'll get you a Bible, okay? God gave you a Bible, okay? God gave you a church. Am I right? Okay. So you got a Bible and you got a church. What do you think these people did before the Internet? Where do you think they got their truth at? They got their truth from the Bible in the church. Because the church, was, the church was intended for the edification, right? Am I right? The edification of the saints. What does that mean? That's how you got built up. You read your Bible, pray every day, grow, grow, grow. Three points there. I wrote that word of knowledge came to me. Okay, now, so, so, so what did you do? You read your Bible and you went to church. Guess what? Look, forsake not the assembling of yourself together as the manner of some is. But even, even so much the more as you see that the closer you think Jesus is to come about, you better go to church. Okay? So, so read your Bible, go to church. What do you do next week? Read your Bible, go to church. Read your Bible, go to church. Read, how do you grow? Read your Bible, go to church. How do you walk with Jesus? Read your Bible, go to church. I, look, that's what the Bible says. Okay? Now, I want to say this to you. You better be careful with internet theologians. Now, I, you know me. I, I don't, I'm not drawing lines and saying, don't, bless God, my people are not to get on the internet. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you better be careful of internet theologians because there's a lot of copy and paste guys out there that will lead you absolutely astray. And most of the stuff I have to deal with personally as a pastor where somebody gets off base, or I'm not talking about people that ask genuine questions. I'm talking about people that come up and say, Pastor, did you know? And they come up with some wild cockamamie idea, you know, Jesus was actually in Florida two years ago. Well, where'd they get that at? The internet, okay? The internet. So I, I'm, I'm saying, listen, I'm saying be wary. The Bible and your church. Now, if you don't trust me, that's fine. You may say, he's a nutcase. Okay, then you need to find somebody that's not a nutcase. But if you've got a Bible that you trust, and if you believe your pastor is grounded in the Word of God, then, then be careful looking outside of the two things that God gave us for spiritual growth just because we're in a modern era. Now, there's some good things. By the way, we're on the Internet. Okay, we're on the Internet. Um, I would suggest you be careful with that. If I'm preaching, fine. If it's one of the other guys, <laughs> be very wary of that. No, I'm just saying I'm not against the Internet. We're there because we're, you know, people are out there, and I get, I get comments from people all the time. I'm just saying be careful. Don't buy into everything that you're sold on the internet because, my word, there's some really crazy stuff going on out there. Number three, okay? Number three, never underestimate the presence of divisiveness, okay? Now, I want you to go with me to chapter four. Everybody jump over to chapter four of the book of Galatians. It's what we're studying, Galatians four. Galatians chapter four. Now, Paul's going to talk about his temptation. What does that mean? 
It, it means the thing that's plaguing him, okay? There's something that was plaguing him. If there was a temptation for him to quit or hang it up, something was really bothering him, it's his temptation, all right? So let's look in chapter 4, verse 14. In my temptation, which was in my flesh, ye despised not nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Okay? He's writing to the descendants of Celtic people. And he's saying, boy, you sure welcomed me with, with open arms. Verse 15. Where is then the blessedness she spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible ye would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. Okay, so, so this is one of the passages besides some of the documents we found from Paul's day that we believe that, that Paul had, that his problem was an eye problem. There are other places I won't go to in the scripture, but Paul said to the Galatian church, look, you didn't despise my infirmity in the flesh. Okay, in fact, you loved me so much you, you received me as though I was an angel of God, and if you could have, you'd have pulled your eyes out and gave them to me. That's how much you loved me. That's how close we were. Okay? So there's a, there's a bond here, all right? A unity here. These are people that, that, that would sacrifice their own eyesight for Paul. Notice what he says then in verse number 16. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Now, when you go home tonight, you can go back. You may have already done it. I don't, I don't know, but, but you can go back and you can read through the book of Galatians. You know what you'll find? That a pretty good section of chapter 1 and chapter 2, Paul spends defending his apostleship. That's, remember what he said when he started out? He said, oh, hey, let me tell you something. I'm an apostle. I'm an apostle because Jesus Christ, God the Father appointed. That's why I am. And he said, remember what he said? He said, not of man. Men didn't give me this. Somebody, had, somebody that had infiltrated this church was causing divisions, okay? And they were saying, um, you know what, Paul, guys, do you remember how many apostles there were? Well, Paul wasn't one of them. Okay, so he says, yeah, on the road to Damascus, he's all lying. He didn't really say a lie. I don't believe that. Paul, Paul look. We're not saying Paul's a bad guy, but Paul's certainly not an apostle according to the, what, the, what the apostles were. And so he said, he said to them, uh, they said to, to these people, his, his apostleship isn't valid. So Paul's now having to write, said, man, didn't do this for me. I didn't buy this in a cheap thing in the mail. I had a guy that I knew years ago. His name was Mike Pepper. I didn't know him well, but he ordered a doctor's degree through the mail like, I think he told us he spent $8 and he became Dr. Pepper. Okay? So, Paul is saying here, I didn't order my apostleship through the mail. Okay? That's not how, that's not how I became God appointed me here. And, and so, uh, these teachers that came in, if they're, listen to me, if they're going to change the church, what have they got to do? If they're going to change the church, they've got to tear down the leadership that's there. They got to belittle it. That way they think they're elevating themselves. One of the things throughout my ministry that has made me sicker than anything is when a guy follows somebody in the pulpit of a church 
he becomes the new pastor and he spends the first six months of his time belittling the guy that, that preceded him in hopes of somehow making himself look good. I, I, I get sick to my stomach at that. Thank God for somebody that at least gave some blood, sweat, and tears. You may not agree with them on everything, but, but be grateful. So here, what are they doing? First thing they do, they're going to tear down the leadership in order to somehow establish themselves. And the Bible tells us over and over again that we are to, we are to avoid those people. Now, go with me to Acts chapter 20. Everybody, Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul is going to talk with the, uh, uh, the pastoral staff the elders of the church in Ephesus, okay? So let's look there. He begins in verse number 26, and he says this, Wherefore I, ta I take you to record this day, that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Watch. Take heed therefore unto yourselves. Now he's talking to the preachers. Of this church, take heed therefore unto yourselves, number one, and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, number two, to feed the flock of God which hath purchased with his own blood. For I know that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Key phrases there. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God, watch this, and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. So he's saying, guys, look at me. There's things going to happen in the future. There are going to be wolves that come in. There are going to be infiltrators that come in. And even if possible, there'll be people among you that'll see an opportunity to arise. And you've got to be careful. This is what he said. He said, you stay with the Lord. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Now, I have some responsibilities as a pastor I take really seriously. I take them very seriously because this is my calling. This is what I began when I was 17 years old. And I walked an aisle at Bible Baptist Church. 4700 Skidaway Road, got on my knees. I had no idea really everything that was going into my life. All I knew is that God the Holy Spirit spoke to me on a pew on the left-hand side in the back, and I came forward and surrendered to what God had been working on my heart. And, and my responsibilities that I take seriously is I'm to take heed to myself. I have to take heed to myself. That's what he said there. Take heed therefore unto yourselves. And so I have to take heed to myself spiritually and emotionally and physically. Listen to me. I am to steward me so that I can be effective for you and for him. So I have to steward Dean. I got to make sure that Dean's doing what he needs to do. I got to get up in the morning. I sit down. Um, okay. I eat my breakfast, um, I read my Bible, and I have my prayer time. Why? Because I have to take care of me. I've got to make sure that I study. I have to make sure that I'm in the Word. That brings me, second of all, I am to feed the flock of God. Now, if I am malnourished, I can't feed you. If I'm starving myself, I have nothing to give you, you know. If I get up here and I look like I came out of a prison camp and I'm advising you on how to eat, you're probably not going to listen to me. You're probably going to say, dude, you're in bad shape. You know? and, and so the reality of the matter is I have to feed myself. 
so that I can feed the flock. It's essential. Listen, listen to me. It is essential to me. It is so important to me that I feed you. That's my, that, you know what my main job is, not visiting you in the hospital? I do that, but that's not my main job. You know what my main job is? Feeding you. To, to feed you, I have to take heed to myself so that I can feed the flock of God, okay? But my number one responsibility is feeding you. That's, that's the thing that I've got to do. Uh, and, and it's absolutely essential that I be in the Word of God. And if a pastor doesn't want to study, I remember I was with a group of guys and, and a fellow said to me in our group, he said, uh, that guy said he spent three hours studying for that message. He said, I've never spent three hours in my life studying for a message. And I thought, yeah, I know, we can tell. <laughs> wow. I mean, can, I can't imagine that. And, and so I, I have to immerse myself. I am to love the flock. That's the tears. I have to lead the flock. That's warning day and night. I have to do that. And I am to protect the flock. And that's what he talks about when the wolves that come in. You know that over the 18 years that I've been here, that there have been times I've had to talk with people and confront people over, over um, uh, doctrinal deviances that they brought in and insisted on. And I've had to sit down and have discussions with them. And some of them I've had to just say, yeah, that, that's not going to fit here. I mean, you would think a pastor wants everybody wouldn't you? I mean, trying to grow a church, you want everybody there. And that's only been a few times I've ever had to do that. But for the health of the church, there are times when people come in and they're insistent on, on their agenda. And sometimes I have to just sit and say, no, that can't, no. No, that won't. That's not what we believe. And we're not changing that. You know, if they continue to insist on it, I have to say, you probably, you, you probably need to find somewhere where there's a church that agrees with you on that, and take that there. Okay. Now, let me say this to you. You don't have to agree with me on everything. Okay. There's, there's some things that are not really essential okay, um, that we can differ on. And if you're talking about the blood, okay, if you're talking about major doctrinal things, eh, probably not going to work. Okay. Okay. So, so I, I don't mind disagreement that's healthy, but the reality of the matter is there has to be some sort of a there has to be some sort of a consistent belief. That's why Paul said in chapter five, verse twelve, I would they were even cut off, which trouble you. Paul said, Well, you know, all they've done since they got there is they they've troubled you. They've you would have given me your eyes. And now they brought division in. Paul said, you know, what I would, you, know, you know what I wish sitting out here? You know what I wish? I wish they were cut off from you. I wish they weren't a part of your church. That's a pretty harsh statement. But you understand, you understand the, the, the heart of the Apostle Paul was for the health and the harmony of the church. That's a part of my responsibility as pastor, and I take it seriously. Number four, and last of all, Never underestimate the importance of balance. Never underestimate the importance of balance. Now, let's go back to the Celtic people. They moved into Galatia, okay? 
the dude called the terrible let them in there, okay? They're slapping people out of the way. They're like, this, we live in here and everybody's moving. I mean, when they moved in, people moved out, okay? I mean, they were, they were bad to the bone. And now they've got a foothold here and culture's calmed them down some, but they still have a DNA. You know what their DNA was? Listen to me. It was extremism. They were extreme people. They were radical. Wild, they're called. Extremism was in their very nature. Can I say this about you and me? We tend to peg the pendulum to one side or the other also. Now, there's some people by nature, they're calmer. But, but as sinners, we have a tendency to swing to extremes. That's our sinful nature. We, we go from one extreme sometimes to the other. And people are attracted by extremist movements. You ever looked at somebody and said, how in the world does he ever get a following? The guy's a nutcase. Look at all the people that are listening to the nutcase. You know why? Because people like extremism. Look at me. People go to extreme churches sometimes that have extreme opinions. You know why? Because it's really easier to have somebody else make decisions that you have the liberty to make. That puts pressure on me, and so I surrender my liberty so that somebody else can make that decision for me. You know? And so there's, there's, there's that tendency sometimes amongst us if we're not careful. And the essence, listen... The essence of what the Judaizers brought into the Galatian churches has been extremely difficult to, to root out even to this day. And, and, and there are those, even in our day and age, that would have us believe that our faith is more evidenced in doing than being. I become holy by what I do, not who I am. Okay? And so, so what is the litmus test of holiness? Do you? It's, it's all doings. We're human beings, not human doings. But, but, but there are people that, that enforce that. And, 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 and the reality, it becomes performance driven. Okay? I am holy because of what I do, not because of who I am. And, and people define uh, holy by the things that we do. I am holy because this is what I do. And they think that by living holy, if I live holy enough, I can somehow know the Lord better. No, no, no. That's the reverse. By knowing the Lord better, I learn to live holy. Holiness doesn't precede relationship. It is from relationship that holiness comes. It's the product of relationship. I don't gain brownie points with God because I have a checklist that I'm, I'm marking off and checking off, and okay, I've got all that done, I don't do these, I do do this, and so here I am, I must be holy. No, that's how a lot of churches function. It's how you dress, where you go, what you don't, where you don't go. It's all these external factors create an image for me whereby you think I'm holy. Why? Because I, I checked all the boxes. So I must be holy. Can I tell you this? Listen to me careful. You can check all the boxes and do all the right things and not be holy. Now, 
I know this and you know this. If, I, if my relationship with Jesus is right, then it does impact the things that I do and the way that I live and the places I go and the way that I talk and the way that I dress. That's a product. It doesn't begin there. It begins here in my relationship with Jesus Christ. Chapter 5, verse 16 and verse 25. Everybody go to chapter 5. Let's go to verse 25 first. Watch this, okay? Galatians 5, 25. Watch this. If we, what's the next word? Live in the Spirit, we shall also, what's the next word? In the Spirit. Now watch this. Look at what he does. Watch this. Walking never precedes the living. You live in the Spirit first. That's relationship. You walk in the Spirit. Why? Because you live in the Spirit. Okay? It's, it's the relationship. It's the life that precedes the walk. Now jump with me in verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So here's, here's what he says. It begins with relationship. It impacts your walk. That's the things you do. And then it keeps you from the lust of the flesh. That's the things you do not do. It begins with your relationship of living in the Spirit. Okay. So, so look at me. Let, look, look, never underestimate the importance of balance. What is the balance? The balance is that I don't get the cart before the horse. The balance is that I develop a relationship with Jesus. And from that relationship with Jesus, look, look at me, listen. If I love Jesus, I'm going to let go of some things that I would struggle with minus the relationship. Okay. And if, all I, if all I've got is image, you know, if all I've got is this image, outward external image, if that's all, if that's all there is to me, it's sad. Because all I am, I'm just an external show of the things that I was taught and the traditions I were handed to do and not to do. But if my heart is right with Him and I have a relationship with Him and He says, Dean, I want this. I give it to Him not because some man demanded it of me. I give it to Him because I love Him. And it's a natural outflow of my relationship. So let's be balanced, okay? Let's be balanced. I don't wanna I don't wanna go, I don't wanna go to one extreme or the other. I don't wanna live by man-made set of rules when God's given me liberty to serve him. And I also don't wanna be be where there's no holes ball. I get to do anything I want to do. No, be balanced. Relationship leads me to the place to where I know what Christ wants from me and for me. And I'm willing to do that because of my relationship. That's what true holiness is all about. That's what true holiness is all about. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for Galatians. What a letter. And it helps us see the dogmatism that so disrupted a church and led them off track, off script. Here are people that understood the grace of God, and now all of a sudden they're thinking, hey, i got to keep the law in order to please God. No, it's not, it's not what we do. It's, 
It's what we are. It's what we are that pleases you. And from what we are comes the things we do from that relationship. So help us to avoid, Lord, the divisiveness and the uh, difficulties that these Galatians struggled with and to thank you for salvation by grace. Help us to live that way. In Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen.